Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean makes it super simple to launch a Kubernetes cluster in minutes. The DigitalOcean Kubernetes platform empowers developers to launch their containerized applications into a managed production-ready cluster without having to maintain or configure the underlying infrastructure. They seamlessly integrate everything with the rest of the DigitalOcean stack, including load balancers, firewalls, object storage spaces, and block storage volumes. They even have built-in support for public and private image registries like Docker Hub and Quay.io. Developers can now run and scale container-based workloads with ease with the DigitalOcean platform. Learn more and get started for free with a $50 credit at do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Change Logo podcast featuring the hackers, leaders, and innovators of software development. I'm Adam Stakoviak, editor in chief here at Change Log. Today, we're talking with Victor Zhao about the explosion of the IO game genre. We talked through all the details around building and running one of these games, the details behind Victor's super popular game called Generals, which he eventually sold. And we also covered the economics behind creating and selling one of these games. So, Victor, we're here to talk about your multiplayer IO web games. But first, let me give a little background on how this show came together. You've been really killing it on the writing front lately. I just want to compliment you on the writing that you've been doing. Thank you. And uh, the first thing we logged on Chainsaw News that you wrote was why I replaced Discuss. And you should too, or Discus, if you're into pronouncing it that way. I don't know how to right, pronounce yeah. it. I, I think it's Discuss because that's what yeah, I, I think I say do Discuss. Yeah. Do you? I think, Adam, were you the one that says Discus? That's because somebody else called it discus and they forced me to say it. And so like I just felt like I had to. But it's discuss. I don't I actually I don't know discuss. which one's correct. I think discuss I feel makes like discuss sense makes for the sense. platform. Yeah. Well, I think this is in the day of like Flickr not having the e with the er, so I think it was like cool to call it not discuss, which would be obvious. Right. You know, it's back in those web 2 days basically. Yeah. Right. Anyways, you wrote about how you were replacing Discuss on your on your site. Uh, yeah. Then you wrote how decision trees are trained, kind of some deep dives into machine learning for beginners, random forest for complete beginners. Tons of really cool stuff. So we've been logging pretty much all your submissions uh, to Changelog News. By the way, listeners, if you're writing interesting stuff and you want us to help share it around, we have a submit form on changelog.com slash submit. You can submit your things there. We're happy to help cover especially awesome written things like what Victor's been doing. And then just last week, you uh, you submitted a post called How to Build a Multiplayer IO Web Game. And I was yeah. I actually did decline this one. I was about to decline it because we don't really do straight-up tutorials very much. Um, okay. Explainers, deep dives, et cetera, but like how to do this just isn't all that interesting um, for us. So yeah. I did decline that one, but I, I clicked through to it because you've written so many good things that I thought I'd check it out. And I was intrigued because I didn't know what a dot IO, you know, what an IO web game was. You referenced a few <laughs> things I had never heard of. Yeah. Uh, video games are cool. And then you mentioned that you've actually created and sold a couple of these while in college, you are graduating soon from Princeton. So 
Uh, you've been uh-huh. up to a lot of stuff here. I thought, wow, that's an interesting topic. We talk about video games a lot, but we don't talk about actually building games very yeah. much on the changelog. So that's why we have you here. Cool. So maybe before we dive into the gaming side of it, tell us about uh, your writing while you're, you're going to school. You're writing about things. I suppose you're learning them there and writing about them. What's up with your writing and maybe with the motivation for you doing that? Yeah, sure. So uh, I kind of started writing pretty recently. Um, I believe it was February of this year. So coming right up around three months of doing this. Um, basically, I just write about stuff that uh, it's pretty much like you said, like I've I've learned it maybe kind of recently. Um, there are a lot of things that I think are explained maybe too, you know, in, in, in a really complicated manner. Um, and sometimes I feel like I have a way that is a little bit simpler to approach some of these things. Um, and so a lot of my writing is kind of like that, you know, like how to do X for beginners or X explained, you know, like for a beginner. Um, and I think it's kind of fun. It's kind of a nice challenge to write those because it's harder than you think, right? Like writing for someone who has basically no background on this, you have to, you have to throw away all the assumptions that you have, right? Like, you personally might understand it, but it's it's a whole another story to be able to explain it to someone who's maybe never seen this before or never even heard of anything like this. So mm. um, that's fun. Um, and then you know some of the other stuff I do is just kind of like random random things that um, you know like like the discuss posts or discus whatever we decided. <laughs> um, yeah, like that's just you know something I did and I thought was interesting and uh, felt like I could share. Um, yeah. Yeah, basically, I'm just doing this because I honestly, actually, in the beginning, I just wanted to work on writing more. I think that's something I don't really get to do much. You know, I'm a computer science major. I do a lot of coding here at school. Um, so I, I don't really get to write that much. And I, I really like writing about, you know, just tech stuff. Um, and and so that's that's basically how that's this basically. Uh, this blog mm-hmm. got started. Yeah, yeah. And it started in February, too. So was this like a New Year's resolution thing or what, what was it that sort of? Was it by your own accord or did you read somebody or hear from somebody saying, hey, you should write to better yourself? Yeah, uh, actually, it was sort of, you know, not exactly a New Year's resolution type kind of thing, but it was actually something that I've, I've been thinking about for a while. You know, it's been in the back of my head. Um, and then what happened was right around the end of January, um, Princeton has like the way Princeton's semesters work is that we have we kind of have this like week long break. Um because our spring semester starts in February. So we have kind of like a week long break right at the end of January, pushing into February, um, where we just don't have to do anything. Uh, we, I think we call it intercession. Um, and people, you know, people will sign up for classes. They'll be like, oh, I want to learn how to bartend or, oh, I want to learn how to cook or whatever. Um, and kind of during that period, I was like, hey, you know, I got a week right now. I don't really have much going on. Why don't I just do that thing I've always been thinking about doing? Um, there's no better time to do, to start it than now. And so, you know, I just did, I just dove in, uh, and that's, that's how that got started basically. So how did you find us in terms of submitting it to changelog news? Because it, we've covered a lot of your stuff and it's not too far from February. So maybe you've just posted all of your posts here, but curious how you knew about to go about doing that. Right. Yeah. Actually, I think what it was, was, uh, somebody, so my first post that kind of blew up was. Um, I wrote this like introduction to neural networks, this like, I think it was like simple neural networks or something. Um, and basically it walks through like what a neural network is. Um, and then it implements one from scratch in Python. So it's kind of just like, you know, we only use NumPy. Uh, no, it's not just like importing another library or something. We kind of like, you know, bare bones it. 
Um, and I believe someone posted that post of mine to changelog and I uh, got the email about it and I was like, what is this email? I clicked through uh, it and then I, I kind of did this deep dive, like rabbit hole dive into changelog. I was like looking through all the podcasts, like looking through all the, all the histories and stuff. Um, and I was like, this is really interesting. And, and that's basically how I found changelog and, okay. uh, and why I started posting there. Yeah. Look at that. That's the one I logged machine learning for the for beginners. Back ah. in March sixth, would you rename yeah, it or? Uh, <laughs> no, I think I just forgot what I. What I well, forgot sometimes what I we do. Sometimes adjust the names just for context. So sometimes we'll give it a slightly different name if yeah, yeah we don't enjoy that the name or we want to provide more context. But well, it's yeah. the longer version of this machine learning for beginners, and then an introduction to neural networks. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, sometimes we'll just shorten it for short and sweet or something like that. Just kind of keep it. Uh, you know, just more minimal, so to speak. But yeah. hey, that's a good that's a good sign, Jerry, because that's like our growth that's one hacks of our little growth thing. Hacks. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> Makes the effort yeah. worth it when we do that, because I love that. You know, just for those listening, when we log news, we can attribute it to somebody, and right. that means they get an email when it becomes live or when it gets published, and so it's a way of us alerting you or somebody else, you being the proverbial you, if you submit or if we right. find it and submit it on your behalf. And uh, that's pretty cool because then you can sort of discover us because you may not have been aware, like Victor, to to what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah, it works. It's a it's a grassroots little effort. But I mean, as a as a random stranger who also writes things on the internet, I think if I wrote something and we covered it and I had never heard of us, I think I would be interested in knowing that. So yeah, it's uh we try to stay classy and and not do things that we wouldn't want ourselves, but. One little notification saying, "Hey, you're, you've been featured on Changelog News. Check it out." I think. Yeah, that's a good point to add on too, because yeah, it's in good spirits to do that, not exactly. just simply right. like, "Hey, spamming Victor." By the way, it's it's meant to be in good spirits. Right. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I appreciated the email. It was cool. It was nice to see. Cool. Well, we're uh, now I got you on the Changelog. So uh, there you go. <laughs> back again, a Victor's tale. So let's talk about what you're here to talk about. Well, before we get to that, I did want to ask you: Do you have plans upon graduation? Because you're graduating real soon. New phase of life. What are you thinking? Do you have a job lined up, or do you have prospects? Yeah, I do. So uh, after I graduate, I'm going to do a little bit of traveling for a couple months, and then uh, in August, I'm going to head to California. I'm working for Facebook as a software engineer. Oh wow! Mm. Congrats. Yeah, man. thanks. Well, let's dive into these web games so as i said i've never heard of you, you mentioned when agar io came out in 2015 it inspired a new io game genre yes that has since exploded in popularity so this is a, a genre that has missed my radar uh i went yeah. to agar.io and i was like well, you know what the heck is this uh it did remind <laughs> the slither you there's another one slither io i actually had seen that one so i'm kind of aware i guess tangentially okay. of what's going on here but i wasn't aware that this is a genre and tons of people are are playing these games. So tell us about yeah. that whole little niche. Sure. Yeah. So the first one, so I actually call it agar.io. I'm not sure how people say it. Anyways, I'm going to say agar.io. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So when that one came out, uh, it was actually, I believe, developed by this one 19-year-old dude um, off somewhere by himself. Um, he kind of launched it, and then it just went viral. It blew up. Everyone started playing it. Um, and basically, I think it's because of how simple it is, right? So in general, this, this genre of .io games, um, the game is, you know, you, you go to a website, right? Agar.io, you show mm -hmm. up and there's a play button for you and there's maybe like a username input field. 
Um, and you can just click play and jump into a game with, you know, 50 other people immediately. Um, and so there's very little friction to, you know, start playing the game. You can do it anywhere. It's great to play like in class or, you know, uh, at work or whatever you want. Uh, um, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and so people started playing this game a lot and then, you know, game developers realized this, this is a, this is a game model that works and people really like to play these games. And so people started making similar games, but, you know, just with different, uh, different game mechanics. Right. So I think the next one that came after that was probably slither.io. Uh, like you mentioned, that one is kind of like, you know, you play as this snake, uh, you go around eating food. Um, and then if, if some other snake crashes into your snake body, they die. Uh, and so it's basically, it's very simple. It's, you know, there's no learning curve. Uh, anyone can play, you just jump in, um, you can play with your friends. Um, there's a leaderboard for people to climb people who want to, you know, top that. And then after slido.io, there's a big one that's called diep.io, uh, D I E P.io. And that one is basically you jump in. Uh, you control this little tank like thing um, and you can shoot other people uh, and you can shoot these like NPCs um, and just shooting stuff in general gives you experience. You know, you level up your ship, you can upgrade certain things. You can, you know, you can choose a class. It feels like a, it feels like an RPG almost. Um, and so, yeah. And a after those three there, are, you know, it's, there's just tons and tons of IO games out there. Huh. Um, and there are also these IO game sites that will basically collect all of the io games that are out there um and present them nice and neatly to players that want to you know play different io games um and so there's one that's really big called iogames.space i believe that's the that's the main one out there um and so people will just play these games like at school or like you know to procrastinate studying whatever things like that um yeah that's about it oh i just went to iogames.space and you're right there are literally hundreds of these yeah there's so many and just new ones every single day too it's absurd so slither did ring a bell and this is going to date me quite a bit and maybe adam as well because it reminds me so much of nibbles adam did you used to play nibbles i i played nibbles on my ti86 calculator when i was in high school <laughs> i played snake snake nibbles yeah pretty much the same thing only okay. that was one player but you know you'd eventually run into your own tail and die yes and that was the fun uh, part was because gosh man oof. That's when you knew you were winning. Big. It just gets longer and longer and longer <laughs> yes. until you kill yourself. Yes. And so yeah. this is the same idea applied in a you know, kind of a massive multiplayer way uh, exactly. where you're eating other people's snakes. So uh, nothing new under the sun. That being said, this is way more fun playing with other people than just playing by yourself. But if you're sitting there in class, you know, it's better than listening, I guess. Just for terminology's sake, and those who may not be ultra gamers, NPC means what? NPC means non-player character. So kind of just like some other object in the game that's controlled by the game, basically. Gotcha. And then you also mentioned just the fact that there's very little friction to get into a game. Does that tend to lead to not very much investment? Like, oh, I'm not very tied to it because I don't have a lot of, I have to invest a lot to get into it. So I don't feel very tied to it. Or are they pretty addicting? I think they are pretty addicting. I think honestly, what makes them addicting is the leaderboard. So people basically will join into these games. Maybe like they don't even know how to play the game and you kind of figure out how to play as you play and you gain score along the way. And eventually, if you go long enough without dying, you know, let's say you're in this game for five minutes, right? You go long enough without dying and you start, you start seeing yourself on the leaderboard. Um, and you realize that 
if you die, you lose your entire, all the progress you've made over the past five minutes. So it's kind of like you want to keep playing because you want to keep increasing that score. Um, and you really don't want to die because, you know, it's, it feels like you've invested so much already. Uh, you have to keep going. So the um, ease I, of getting <laughs> in leads to deep investment or potentially deep investment, which keeps you in. Exactly. Yeah. I've seen people like have hour and a half long games um, and they just can't seem to die and they they'll have other, you know, other things they need to get done or other things they need to <laughs> go to. And they just they just can't do it. They have to keep playing because it's I mean, if you're in a game for an hour and a half, you don't want to give that up. Right. <laughs> right. Not a one to one, but it reminds me of Portlandia, the episode when they couldn't stop watching the sitcom because it was like they were just binge watching. It's almost like binge playing. <laughs> yeah. 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 So they've definitely gotten more advanced. I just hopped into RoboStorm IO. And by the way, the, the rest of the show might be a waste because I'm going to be partially playing games and partially talking to you guys. No offense. But this looks <laughs> amazing. I mean, it's it almost looks like a Metal Gear Solid style, uh, not 3D, but kind of that off-kilter 2D space with a map. And I mean, people put some work into these things for sure. Definitely. Yeah, they've gotten a lot better since the early days. So... That got you into building a couple of your own. Tell us that history, because as I said, one of the things that was interesting is you built and sold two of these in the past three years. And so just the fact that selling them is a thing I thought was intriguing. But why yeah. did you start building them? We'll get into how you built them um, probably here soon. But let's talk about some of maybe the economics around it. Sure. Yeah. So the reason I started building them, uh, so the very first game I built was this one called Generals.io. Um, and it's still live. It's still running to this day. It's still somewhat popular, I believe. Um, and how that started is, I believe so my sophomore year of college, uh, we had a break. Um, we had a week-long break in the fall semester. Um, and I was just hanging out on campus with some of my friends. Uh, we didn't really have much going on. We were honestly just kind of messing around all day, not really doing much. Um, and one day we're sitting in this room together and we go to, we go to this site, iogames.space, like I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, and we're like, we're looking through IO games because we were just, we were just, you know, playing these casual games together for fun. And we happen upon this game called kings.io. Um, and, and the way kings.io works is you control, you're on this 2D board and you control this one uh, square that's called your king. Um, and every square that you own will slowly generate army units for you. So it's kind of like, um, maybe you can think about it like risk. Uh, you kind of like control territory. The territory generates army strength. Um, and you can move that army strength around the map to conquer other, you know, other territories and ultimately other players' kings. And so the way you win, the way you beat someone else in this game is you take an army to someone else's king and you attack their king with a stronger army. Um, and if you conquer anyone's king, you become the new owner, the new ruler of all of their territory. So mm -hmm. the game starts with, you know, usually like eight or nine or 10 people and slowly it goes down to like four people. Um, and then at the very end, you have these two massive empires battling each other, both trying to find the other person's king. Um, so, you know, it was a fun game. Uh, I played it a lot with a couple of my friends. Uh, we got really high up on the leaderboard. Uh, we were starting to figure out like what the best tactics were for this game and stuff. Um, but, you know, the game wasn't too popular and we felt like there were a couple things that were really, you know, a couple pain points about the game. Um, one of them was that 
the game pace was way, way too slow. So I think the way they had it set up was that one move took two seconds, I believe. And you can think about that, right? You can imagine making a move and then waiting two seconds for it to happen. And like, you know, you can only make 30 moves per second. Like for, you know, for young people like us who are, who are used to playing these super fast paced action games, like, uh, first person shooters, whatever, it feels way too slow. We feel, you know, we get impatient. Um, and so that was a, that was kind of an annoyance. Um, there were some other things that happened, uh, like, like the, there were some bugs in the game that I don't really remember, but you know, just, you can imagine bugs in the game. It's a little bit annoying to play. Um, sometimes like you would spawn in a location that would basically be impossible to win from, um, Mm. which is, which is annoying because it's like, why, like this is, this could be controlled, right? You could with a little bit more, like with a little bit better map design, you could, um, make it a little more fair for everyone. Right. So like in their defense, it's pretty hard because all the maps are randomly, you know, generated. Um, but you know, so there were some pain points like the ones I've, I've mentioned. And basically at dinner one day, someone, someone jokingly based mentioned that I should, you know, I should build a better version of Kings. Right. And everyone was like, Oh, haha. Like, yeah, that would be cool. Right. Imagine if, right. And then I started thinking about it more seriously. And I was like, you know, this game isn't that complicated. You know, I have the technology, I have the engineering background to do this. I know, I already know how I would implement this. Um, and it would be a fun thing to do. And I have a lot of game development, you know, background, right? Like I've been making games since I was basically 13. Um, that's how I, I would imagine that's how a lot of people get into software engineering. Um, and I, <laughs> I also had the free time to do it because again, this happened to be during that, during that break from school. Um, in our fall semester. And so I just decided one day to to do it. And so in in three days, I built a version. So okay, yeah, so that's that's where the name generals.io comes from. It's kind of a it's kind of a tribute to the original kings.io game. And then in the first three days, I built a simple version that was similar to Kings, but ha- was a lot more fast paced and fixed some of the issues that we'd been talking about. And I kind of just threw it up on some sites. I think I sent out a couple emails, maybe I probably posted about it on Facebook. Um, and it got a little bit of traction, uh, in those early days, but you know, I was just working on it. I kept on working on it. I would implement new features, implement new game modes. Um, for example, like I added replays so you can go back after a game and, and replay the entire game and, you know, share replay links with your friends. Um, and like, see exactly where, see exactly what other people did, things like that. Um, and eventually one day, I, I think it was like, I want to say it was like Jan- the January after that uh, fall semester. One day, someone found my game, someone found Generals and posted it on Hacker News. Um, and it blew up. It was the number one post on Hacker News for like probably that entire day. Um, I woke up that morning and pe- my friends were texting me like, yo, Generals is really, really slow right now. Can you check the servers? And I was like, yes, of course, right? So I go in and I check the servers and I'm trying to figure out what's wrong. And eventually I realized that it's just, there's nothing wrong. It's just that there are like 50,000 people playing on this $5 server that I've rented. Wow. Um, and so, so nice. that, was a, that was a crazy day for me. That was a crazy, crazy day. I remember it was a Saturday. Luckily it was a Saturday. Um, otherwise, I, you know, I might've been doing other stuff, but I spent that entire day just putting out fires, um, up like moving the game to beefier servers, like 
you know, like handling support questions and stuff like people telling me that their games were crashing or whatever. Like there was there was a ton of stuff to do that day. And I, I still it was a good time. It was a fun time. And I learned a lot that day. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah. And so from that day on, a bunch of people, you know, I mean, that's what happens if you're the top host in Hacker News, like the game stayed really popular. Um, I kept on building more features. Um, I kept on adding on to it because I was now motivated because, you know, I had a, I had a real player base, right? There are a lot of people playing this game. You go, you go to the game at like 4 a.m. on a Tuesday night and there's people queuing up with you to play, which is just crazy to me because um, I've never had a game be that popular before. Um, and so, you know, I worked on this game probably like almost full time. Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a student, right? But I would spend, I, wanna, I was spending at least like 30 hours a week just developing this game because I'm the only guy running the show, right? Like if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Um, and so in the year after that Hacker News post, I basically, I basically worked full time on this game while studying at Princeton, I guess. And um, I implemented a bunch of stuff. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of growth in the game over that year. Um, and then eventually, I think I just got, I think I just got tired. I guess um, there were some other things that I wanted to do. Um, and, and I felt like there wasn't so much more for me to do with generals. Kind of felt like it reached like a natural ending point. Um, and so I had actually been looking for kind of a way out, right? Like I felt like I couldn't just, I couldn't just quit on the game. I obviously wasn't gonna shut it down because it was making me a good amount of money from ad revenue and stuff. But I was, I had already kind of started thinking about looking for a way to exit, looking for a way to maybe hand it off to someone else. And then I get an email out of the blue. Um, it's this guy who runs this small gaming company who's interested in buying out generals from me. Um, we talk, you know, and then two months later, that that's it. I sell generals to him and he's, uh, that company is still the company running generals to this day. This episode is brought to you by GoCD with native integrations for Kubernetes and a Helm chart to quickly get started. GoCD is an easy choice for cloud native teams. With GoCD running on Kubernetes, you define your build workflow and let GoCD provision and scale build infrastructure on the fly for you. GoCD installs as a Kubernetes native application, which allows for ease of operations, easily upgrade and maintain GoCD using Helm, scale your build infrastructure elastically with a new elastic agent that uses Kubernetes conventions to dynamically scale GoCD agents. GoCD also has first-class integration with Docker registries, easily compose, track, and visualize deployments on Kubernetes. Learn more and get started at gocd.org Kubernetes. Again, gocd.org Kubernetes. So help us understand the the kind of dollars behind this. You you said you were running ads, then you got this offer from someone else to buy it, and eventually you sold it. So break down the figures for us. What's what's in this? Sure. Yeah. So there are two main ways I was making money from this game. One of them, the big cash cow, was ads. Right. Um, people waiting in queue to queue up with other people would see an ad, and people would click those ads like all the time. So there's that. Um, and then the second way was uh, generals had this kind of supporter feature um, where you could basically donate some money 
and you would get a supporter tag uh, on your profile for X amount of months. Um, and being a supporter kind of unlocks some special benefits from you, some like kind of cosmetics, basically. Um, but that that one didn't uh, didn't contribute so much monetarily. But let's see at, at peak, right? Um, at peak, I was making. I want to believe. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to think about the numbers again. It's been. It's been a while. Okay, so the month that I topped Hacker News, Generals made me probably three or four thousand um, dollars. And then after that, of course, you know the traffic's going to decline. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of leveled off to around. I want to say a thousand a month. Um, and then eventually, when I was contacted to sell the game. Uh, I sold it for kind of like mid five figures range, mid to high five. Yeah. Like mid five figures. Um, nice. And yeah, and it's just basically, you know, a multiple of, yeah, of how, much, revenue. how much yeah. revenue is making. Sure. Which makes sense. Cause I mean, it has very little or very low expenses, right? So your overhead wasn't really much. So you could in theory give a valuation based on simply revenue. Yeah, I mean the overhead was basically zero. I think yeah, I, I, more than ninety nine percent of the revenue was profit. When you think about advertising in this space, you say that when someone would try to enter the game, there would be a pause or a queue, essentially, and an opportunity to display an ad. Yeah, what kind of you mentioned Hacker News fifty thousand one day? What's what's sort of like an on day or active user count like rough at rough daily? Um. Like an like an average day back in those days, probably, uh, probably, I want to say ten thousand active users in a day. So we're talking about ten thousand impressions, likely potentially. I think it ended up being more than that because wow. people would, you know, general games. They only lasted a couple minutes. People would play. Oh man, there <laughs> there were times when I would play, you know, like fifty games back to back, like wow. just me, <laughs> and I made this game so. <laughs> I've played it's this pretty, game a lot. Pretty addicting. So were you just running AdSense or did you have specific ad partners you're working with? Nah, nothing fancy, just AdSense. Nice. So it's been a little bit since then. Do you, are you happy that you sold it? Are you wishing it was still yours? Some people have, we talk about buyer's remorse. Some people have seller's remorse. You got any of that going on or are you just uh, fat and happy as the saying goes? I would say that there are definitely some days here and there where I have a bit of that, you know, I have a twinge of seller's remorse, but I think by and large, I'm, I'm happy with that decision. Um, I've been able to, you know, I've had a lot more free time since then because of it. And I've done a lot of interesting stuff. So I'm glad that I'm glad that, you know, I closed that chapter. Yeah. So that's generals, but your post says you've built and sold two IO games. In the past three years. So yeah. I, I assume you got another story queued up for us here. I do. Yeah, this one's probably a little shorter. Um, so actually, I think earlier I said that Generals was the first IO game I made. And that's wrong. I, I'm going to have to correct myself. <laughs> Generals was actually the second one. It actually came after my other one. Um, okay. So the other one I made was called GeoArena.online. So not actually the dot, the dot io tld, but you know later it's it's now geoarena.io. But anyways, that's unrelated. Um, originally, when I launched it, it was called geoarena.online, and basically that was a game that I think I started it freshman year. Um, that was a game that I had been thinking about for a while in high school, and I thought 
would be cool to try to implement as a web game uh, because that was the time when I was kind of getting into web a little bit. I was kind of trying to learn uh, more about web development and I have always been like, I've, I've always liked making games. So um, that game is is actually sort of similar to Dieppe.io. That's the tank game that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like to refer to Geoarena as like Dieppe.io, but 1v1, right? So Dieppe.io, you get into this big arena, you're playing with 50 other players, you're kind of just one kind where you're just one, you're just one ship in a sea of many ships. Um, but in Geoarena, it's much more personal, right? You customize a ship, um, you and then you enter into a queue. Uh, and the and the game will matchmake you with another player based on your like skill level. Basically, um, you have this in-game rating system called, I believe it's called Geo Crystals. Um, but anyways, it's kind of just like an Elo rating system. And so the game matches you with another player, and then it's just the two of you in this arena, Dieppe IO style, battling it out. Right, it's last one standing wins. Um, so you can kind of you move around, you can fight the other player, you can fight the non-player characters um if you want to level up things like that you can upgrade right um there are a bunch of different strategies that you can use um but ultimately at the end of the day it's kind of just this 1v1 skills test um and so i made that game um and it, it launched it got a little bit of traction it never really blew up um so much as generals did that one day um but you know it, it kind of grew in player base um over the course of the first couple of months. And then after that, it was a bit, it was a little bit steady, um, kind of flatlined for a while. And I, I pretty much put it on the back burner, right? So I, I basically put it on the back burner to build generals. Um, and while generals was happening, I didn't really work on Geo Arena as much, um, because it just, its player base just couldn't justify the kind of investment that I should have been like using on generals instead. Um, but after I sold Generals, I kind of went back to Giorino for a bit with a lot of the lessons that I learned from, you know, building and, and selling and scaling Generals. Um, and I applied those to Giorino. It was, you know, it's fun to go back and look at code you wrote three years ago and be like, wow, this is oh, terrible, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm sure you guys have been there. I feel, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so I had some fun refactoring code base. I had some fun implementing a couple new features. Um, for example, I also brought replays to GeoArena, um, where you can go back after a game and share a replay link and kind of rewatch the game happen, because that was definitely one of Generals' big, big uh, features, right? So like people, people always ask, like, how did you beat out Kings.io, right? Like Kings was the original game. Kings was the kind of like the incumbent in the market. Um, and after the first two months, Generals stole all of King's players and they quickly shut down the site. Um, and I think a big part of it was that Generals' features were just, were just a lot better. Um, and people really liked being able to share replay links with each other. It's, you know, it's part of, it's a social experience, right? Like actually to this day, literally two hours ago, um, one of my friends just sent me a link, a replay link to Generals of a game he just played against one of my other friends. Because the two of them have just recently discovered generals, um, and so they've been playing it a lot, like which is actually really cool to see. Because I haven't been involved in generals for a couple, for like over a year now, but um, people are still finding it to this day, and it's just as fun and addicting as it was before. Well, the cool thing about those replays too is it seems like they're an opportunity for more page views, which is like 
it sounds like it could be viewed by anybody, right? So you're you're actually attracting potentially non-game players. Yeah. Right. Just yeah, like you're friends and right. family or, you know, I don't know, Instagram followers or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <followers>. So <laughs> there was this subreddit for generals. Be like, watch someone else's replay if you don't yeah. play the game yourself or That's understand right. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So one thing they have going on right now, because I am checking it out while you talk, is like a 1v1 tournament going on. Is that new features they built beyond, or did you have that going when you sold it? Um, that's definitely a new thing that uh, they wanted to do. I think we actually talked about that. Uh, I talked about that with the buyer when we were making the uh, transaction. Uh, that's a thing that they've started running kind of recently. Um, you know, People like to have these tournaments, and there are a lot of really competitive generals players out there, surprisingly. Even though it's a really simple game, but uh, you know, there's actually it, it goes deeper than you would think. Um, and so I think I think they run these one v one tournaments every ten weeks, something like that. Um, and I know that at least the last time I checked in on them, they were somewhat popular. So it's definitely a fun thing that you know you can do as a community. Yeah. So I would be curious just of the logistics of selling a game. So I assume there's a domain transfer that has to happen. I would assume there's code that has to change hands. Is there an escrow scenario? I mean, you got the money offer. How do you know they're good for it? How do they know you're actually going to do the thing? Did you get a third party involved? I, I would love to hear just the details of how you go about even mechanically selling one of these games. Uh, we felt like this was a small enough transaction where we didn't want to get a third party or escrow or anything like that involved. Um, we had been talking for a while. We'd been video chatting each other. We felt like we got to know the other person relatively mm -hmm. well. Um, and we, there was a, at least a baseline level of trust we'd established. So I believe what happened was um, they paid half the money up front just so I knew that they were like good for their word. Um, and then we started the transaction process. So there's actually a lot that goes on. Um, there's the domain, like you said, there's all these accounts that are linked to the game, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, like Cloudflare even, right? Like all of these accounts mm -hmm. that I'd set up over the, over the years. Um, and I had to go back and like, remember all those passwords, like change all those passwords. It was a whole deal. Right. Um, and then, uh, we had to, transfer over the code base um that's not so bad uh and then the big part was um transferring the game like the live running game from my servers to their servers basically um because i couldn't just like i couldn't just like give them my servers there was like some kind of uh complexity that that, that was working behind the scenes there but mm. that was a big that was a big day i think we had probably at like a two-hour maintenance that day uh, i think we like posted it on the website and we like told people and then we tried to do it in the middle of the night i'm pretty sure i like i'm pretty sure it happened at 3 a.m or something like that um but yeah so the live transfer was a big deal and and then there was also the live transfer of the aws like replays bucket so replays are stored as like compressed files in a aws uh s3 bucket um mm -hmm. and i had to we had to migrate all of those replays from my aws account over to their AWS account. So um, replays also had to go down for a little bit. Um, so it was definitely involved. There was some, you know, there were definitely technical challenges. But uh, at the end of the day, I think it probably took about two weeks total um, just because I like we kind of did it in like small incremental steps. Um, so there was like definitely that two week transactional period. 
Um, and then at the end of that, I got the rest of the money. And then that was pretty much it. And you rode off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah. Lived happily ever after. And pay down some of them student loans. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, I mean, even though it happened a while ago, I just got to say congratulations. That's, that's a heck of a, that's a heck of an accomplishment, I think. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So this all started with your post, how to build these games. And we haven't talked about that yet. So I'm sure some of the hackers in our audience out there are thinking, hmm, I might try my hand at this because I like games. I'm a good developer. And maybe, just maybe, there's some success and some money at the end of this rainbow. So you have this big, long post. Actually, there's, it's a two-part post, which we will link up yeah. both of those just for people that want to read. But I would love to hear the breakdown maybe on the high level uh, what all goes into these games, how they work, you know, if we want the, the nitty gritty, I think we can keep that into your written form because uh, it's much easier to consume that way versus a conversation. But maybe just high level, help us understand, you know, what they're built with, how they work. We know they're web, web games, so their web technologies are involved somehow. But sure. uh, give us a breakdown. Definitely, if I had to say the thing that all of these IO games share is that they use WebSockets, right? That's pretty much the only way that you're going to be able to get the real-time communication that you need to build one of these web games. Um, and so I personally used this nice JavaScript socket library called socket.io. Uh, it's probably, you guys, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, but it's, it's definitely like the top socket library out there right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so we use that in my post and it makes it really easy to use WebSockets. Um, and and then on the server side, uh, I personally also run just Node.js. Node um, and so my reasoning for that is that I want to be able to share code between the client and the server. So if everything's written in JavaScript, it's much easier um, to not have to rewrite stuff, right? Like you can imagine uh, I write, you know, I write a class for, you know, a player or something. Um, and I want to be able to use that class on both the client and the server. Because, you know, the server is the one that's doing all of the game simulation, but the client also needs it because one, you know, it needs to be able to understand and parse information that the server sends to the client. Um, but two, also, you want to be able to do a little bit of simulation on the client side to kind of uh, mask the latency that you're going to have, right? Like a big problem with these games is that... Um, you can't use UDP on the web, right? Everything is TCP, everything is reliable, everything is ordered. But the issue with that is you're gonna have head of line blocking sometimes, right? So if you know if one game update doesn't show up like to the to a player, the entire game is gonna freeze for a little bit as like you know as the internet figures out what it's doing. Um, and then the rest of the game updates are gonna flood in at the same time. Um, and, you know, there's just no way around that right now. And so there's a lot that goes into uh, making sure that the client side experience is as smooth as possible, even though latency is going to be weird. You're going to have weird ping spikes like you might be a player in Brazil playing on like the New York server. Right. Um, and so that, that I definitely spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and and so like having shared code makes that a lot you know, makes that a lot easier and, and mm -hmm. helps you helps you get the development, like helps you push the game out faster. More than that, there is other than that, basically, uh, you're going to have a you're going to probably have a database of some sort um, if you keep player stats, which you might not necessarily do. But um, for example, like generals 
has this kind of rating system. So you need a database to do that. So that's nothing special. You know, you just have something running. Um, you can, you can store player uh, information in that. Um, and then also I've been talking about this replay feature that I had with my other two games. I believe some other games have it, but I'm not, I don't think it's so common right now. Um, but the way that I've been implementing that is just storing, like I said, storing those replays in an AWS bucket. Um, and, and then downloading those uh, when I need them. So, um, but yeah, that's about it. Like it's, you know, client JavaScript, right? Uh, server JavaScript. We have web sockets for the communication channel between the two. Um, and then we got some database um, and some other storage solutions behind the scenes uh, to make it all work together. The thing with games that I always get tripped up on is when I start to think of the actual visual interaction with the end user. Maybe you say the sprites or the graphics. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking at some of these games and I get immediate, I don't think imposter syndrome is the right word, inadequacy. Like I just look, I'm like, there's no way I could create these kind of things because they're, <laughs> yeah. they're amazing or they're beautiful. Or, yeah, it's exactly self-doubt. Uh, um, just because the, art, the artistic skill isn't there, but also I don't, I don't know how to interact with the world like that in, in the browser. So maybe, maybe not from the graphics side, but could you speak to how, I mean, like, I guess with generals, it was, it's kind of a board game style from what I'm seeing. Just curious, yeah. how do you actually go about building that part of the interactions, like the collision detection and all these kinds of things? So yeah, like you said, generals is a board game style. So that's going to be a little different. Um, yeah. I actually used React for generals, uh, React.js, but um, for most games, it's going to be like GeoArena is a more stereotypical game. Mm-hmm. Um, and for most of those games, they're going to use an HTML5 canvas as like the, you know, kind of like the drawing board. Um, and you basically just, you basically just draw your sprites to that canvas. Uh, and, and you make it. Yeah. And, and that's how you paint the game. Um, as far as like collision detection and anything else like that goes, um, all of that is probably going to be done on the server side and then just rendered and maybe smoothed out uh, a little bit on the client side to make it look a little bit better. Um, like, for example, any explosions or whatever, like cool particle, particle effects, um, that's just going to be put in like client time, like during rendering. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much everything is running on HTML5 canvas um, okay. nowadays. Sorry, I'm just over here playing Geo Arena. (laughs) (laughs) This is a cool cool game. So far, I've always camped out in general, so now I'm checking out Geo Arena. Definitely has the, like you said, the canvas. Definitely has the collision detection and the other stuff that I would feel inadequacy. So is there libraries beyond Socket, beyond, you know, Node and Express, kind of the typical underpinnings? Are there actually application layer libraries where you can say... Hey, I need a thing that already provides, you know, all of the interactions and I just call, you know, collision or whatever these higher level function calls that I'm sure somebody else has thought through that I haven't. Are you use those? Are they out there? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so they are definitely out there, but I personally have not used them. Um, I believe there is one that's called phaser.js. I think it's P-H-A-S-E-R.js. I think that's a popular one that some people are using, but I just personally have not been using those because I'm kind of the kind of, I'm the type of guy 
who wants to be able to control every single little part of it, you know, like maybe to mm-hmm. a fault sometimes. Um, but I like I really wanted to be able to like write everything myself and be able to customize any like little tiny thing that I want. Um, and that's something that you sacrifice a bit if you're going to use a library like one of those, you know, you know like a library like phaser.js. Mm. Um, so I have basically had to write all of those things that I might have um, gotten from one of those libraries myself. Um, so like, like you said, like the collision detection, everything like that, I implemented myself. Um, I have to optimize myself and I, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of it mm-hmm. myself. So for better or for worse, right? Well, beyond libraries, what about platform is, is like iogames.space. Is this, cause I, I know you got a couple of your games here. Is this a platform where you can go and build your game on their existing platform and sort of skip this coding part? Or is there a way to bypass some of the things that Jared has issues with, like the being intimidated by the graphics portion of it and just sort of bypassing the things that you don't do so well or don't want to do at all. Yeah. So I don't believe, I don't believe there are, at least me personally, I don't know about anything like that. Um, so IO games games is, space, you, you host it yourself with IO games. It's just, a yeah. So IO games dot space is actually, it's just an iframe. Um, they mm. basically are just a collection. Like they just list the games and then they iframe out to them. Um, and that's how, yeah, that's their whole site, basically. Mm. Cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, I mean, if works. the next level of this is like, if it's so popular, you know, create a platform where you can build these without having to like have all the skills. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think you just have to have all the skills for now. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. Resolve your errors and minutes into deployable confidence. Catch your errors in your software before your users do. And if you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they want to give you $100 to donate to open source via Open Collective. And all you got to do is go to rollbar.com slash changelog, sign up, integrate Rollbar into your app. And once you do that, they'll give you $100 to donate to open source. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. So you've sold two games. Are you one and done? That doesn't make sense. Are you two and done? Are you kicking up a new IO game? Got any fresh ideas? What are your... What are your ambitions here with regard to these games? Just teaching other people how to do it so you can play even more cool games? What are you thinking? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think I'm two and done. Um, I think I've done what I wanted to do here. I've learned what I wanted to learn. Um, and honestly, I think a big part of it is I'm kind of out of ideas for, uh, for good games. So maybe in the future, if, if something strikes me, right, if I get inspired, maybe I'll jump back to it. But for the near future, I think I'm pretty good with uh, what I've done. I could be pro Victor here, but I, I would feel like it seems like you've only scratched your surface. Oh, <laughs> maybe I'm just maybe. really pro Victor here. I don't know. Call me wrong if you, if you have to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot of other stuff I'm interested in, right? So I don't want to narrow myself too much. What about trends in gaming? Is there anything else that's up and coming that people might find interesting, or maybe even do you have any the IO games that you would think are top notch? Uh, great games that people should play if not try to build um 
I think I see IO Games sticking around for at least another five years. Um, I don't think they're going to go anywhere. I don't think this is just like a fast trend. Um, I think there's actual demand for this and people will keep playing these kinds of games. Um, as far as specific games go, I don't really have a I don't really have any right now because I've kind of I haven't been playing IO games for a while. I think it kind of happened after I after I finished the sales and I kind of moved on into other things. I've been out of the IO game for a while. Um, mm. But, you know, just check out IO games space. Right. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of good stuff there. Um, as far as the rest of, you know, video games, I. I don't know. I guess I mean there's that new trend with all the Fortnite type games, right? Right. That's Battle Royale. Recent. That's that's sort of like the new thing, Battle Royale. Yeah. Is it beyond Fortnite or is it just Fortnite? Uh I mean there's Fortnite, there's like PUBG, right? Player Unknowns Battlegrounds. Uh mm-hmm. there's also that new game that just launched. I I'm struggling to remember what it's called, but it's very similar. Uh there's another big game. I I forget what it's called. But there, there are definitely new games coming out in this arena. I'm personally excited for Super Mario Maker 2. I'm just, I just hang out in the console space. So, uh, yeah. Nint- Nintendo, just Nintendo, lifelong Nintendo player. I did have PlayStation 2, so I dipped my toe in those waters. PlayStation 3 maybe even as well, but uh, Nintendo for life. And now that I have kids that are reaching gaming age, oh man, just mm. Nintendo all day, Nintendo all night. <laughs> That's an interesting perspective. Is there any... Has there been any IO related games that has gone from an IO game to say console or transcended simply just the web space? Yeah. Um, actually one that comes to mind is called paper.io. Um, it was kind of big in the web space when it launched, and then they launched these uh iOS and Android apps, and those were like super popular, I believe. Um, I think I I think I saw paper.io at the top of the app store one day. Um, and I think they might be on consoles. Uh, I might be wrong about that though. I haven't actually seen it myself, but I know that paper.io is doing really well. They're kind of like spreading their wings. They're everywhere now. So that's a good game too. Are most of these games optimized to be used on mobile too? I know that they're not apps and they are based on the web. So, or at least web protocols and stuff. So, I mean, are they generally playable on a, on a mobile phone? Yeah, a lot of them are honestly. So paper.io is really really simple and you basically only need to have like you can just swipe to control the direction you're going um and the game is that like that's it right it's very very simple mm-hmm. um, i think slither.io is the same kind of deal where you can just play on your phone um control the snake right there's not that much that you need to do so so earlier in the call we mentioned that you're going to facebook yeah and jared just asked you about one and done two and done whatever you said you're out of ideas. I said you're simply scratching the surface because I'm such a believer in you. But I'm thinking, like, why would you go? And this is just maybe the entrepreneur in me, you know, that's hopeful for others to be entrepreneurs as well. And you've already been yeah. there. So it's not that you're not. It's just a matter of like your choice seems to be to go to work for somebody else rather than be your own boss. And I'm curious why you make that choice. Yeah. I mean, for now, right. Um, I, I thought about that a lot myself, and it was something I struggled with when I was kind of making this decision. Um, for now, I think I wanted to go to Facebook to just learn more, grow more, grow quickly, um, maybe, you know, make some friends, like make some mentors, right? Find people to look up to. Um, 
because I think that there's a lot that goes on at Facebook that um, is is really valuable. So I've actually interned at Facebook before. I've interned there twice. Um, and those two summers I spent at Facebook, I learned an unbelievable amount, right? Part of it is just, you know, I'm really young, right? I'm kind of inexperienced. I don't know like so much uh, about the tech world yet. Um, and so I think there's a lot for me to do there still. Um, and I think coming out of college, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's a little bit of a safe move, right? Like get a nice paycheck, whatever. Um, but I think part of it is also just being at a big company for these next few years are, is going to be like a good way for me to grow. Yeah. Let me just say that's a, that's a wise response to that. I would say it seems like you put a lot of thought into it. It's not just like, Hey, Facebook's big, hope for the best. You, you actually, you know, I think that makes yeah. sense. You know, you're going to level up your skill set. You're going to level up your network, which is right. very smart moves. That's, you know, playing to your future, which makes sense. Yeah. That's not to say that I won't ever, you know, go off and do something entrepreneurial. I think yeah. I have it in me. So I think the reason why I have the perspective that I, or the, the position I have for the question was that when you're at your age, you tend to be able to absorb more risk. You yeah, know? that's true. And so this generally is when people make more risky moves. Yeah. Yeah. But Adam, if he goes to Facebook for three years, he's only 25 then. I yeah. mean, still. It's true. Foot, foot loose and fancy free, man. That's true. <laughs> you got time. Yeah. Well, the good thing, too, is that there's somebody out there that's in, you know, that's two steps behind you, right? That's listening. That's going to make this choice two, three years from now for themselves. Mm. And they may take your words, Victor, as like, wow, man, I listened to the change all that one time and my life changed because of what Victor said and that wisdom he shared. So that's how it plays out. We're putting a lot yeah. of pressure on, on you here, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. You're about to change someone's life with what you say. That's Go right. Ahead. Say it. Choose your <laughs> words wisely. Oh, man. <laughs> this is a fun space. Though. I never really imagined this IO space, this IO game space being like it is. And it seems like it's for fun and it seems like it's for profit. And it seems like there's some ringleaders out there who've really killed it and have cornered the market. Clearly, IOGames.space has made a place where you can go and find plenty of the games. and They've even attached their own ability to make money off of your game by serving their own ads and stuff like that. So that's like really well ecosystem. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's like just this layered onion of the web, Jared, that it, it almost reminds me, it, 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 uh, it reminds me of the old web, but it's not, you know, like in the games. fact that it's web based and yeah. this revival, this renewal of love for the web. Yeah, and even more love for the web because it doesn't require a plugin anymore. I mean, it's, it's a lot like the Flash games of the days of yore, mm -hmm. you know, yester, yesteryear. Um, I think there will always be a place for casual gaming. And I think the yeah. web is a great place because it can be low friction, because it can be massively multiplayer, because uh, an individual like Victor can run a, a server or have a, you know, a cloud instance that scales up endlessly when he needs it. But you know, a lot of the, the heavy lifting is done on the devices and just the accessibility of the web technology stack. You know, it's the same Node.js and Express and client-side JavaScript that you're using to build your website. Uh, you know, learn yeah. some Canvas, maybe grab Phaser or maybe, you know, be hardcore like Victor and, and do your own mathematics and you can get up and running relatively quickly. So the, the, the move from a good idea to implementation, especially once you have a how-to you know tutorial you could just follow step by step and tweak it to to remix for yourselves is i mean that's the spirit of the web right there is like no permission 
you know, from idea yeah. to live in, you know, a couple of days if you if you got free time and not just and live ambition. But blown up viral. Yeah. Yeah. Given you got fifteen bucks a month for not a five dollar Linode, maybe a fifteen dollar Linode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's late in the game, but like if someone was following these footsteps, what are some of the core steps you would take to build one of these games? Core tech, is there any resources you could recommend? Obviously, you've gotten the part one and part two Jared mentioned here. Is that the extent of it? What, what would you suggest? Yeah, I mean, I would say to just, I would say that the part one and part two I wrote are pretty in depth. Um, they cover a lot of it, but um, a lot of what you're going to be missing from those is kind of like sys admin type stuff, right? Like, how do I actually deploy my own IO game, right? How do I get, for example, how do I get HTTPS, right? How do I get SSL running? Mm. Um, and a lot of that is just going to come from experimenting with it, right? Like, if you want to do this, like, just go and do it. And there are tons and tons of good resources out there on the internet that you can just find and you can just read, follow in their footsteps, like, do it like they did it. Um, and then and see how it works for you, right? Um, it's really easy today to just get a server, right? Pay five bucks for it um, and put up your game and, and, you know, buy a domain for a year for like five bucks um, and have people start playing it um, and then just learn as you go, right? Like there's no reason to not just jump in. What so. about first steps once you've launched it to tell the world? Is it, hey, tweet about it or drop a post on Medium or whatever? Like what are the ways that you would go about making your thing known? I think the number one thing you got to do here is you got to go to iogames.space and okay. you got to register your game. That's the number one thing. Okay. Yeah. Are you sure you don't work for them? I'm sure. I promise. I'm don't worry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Call me crazy too on this front. I, I kind of feel like, you know, you got these two blog posts out there, but I kind of feel like you got more in you. Kind of feel yeah. like what, how hard would it be to create a mini course that is like a, a one-stop destination for those coming to this space to, to build their next big thing. Ooh. I could, I think I could do it. Yeah. I mean, I could do it, but uh, I think the reason I wanted to keep it short is because I'm not sure there's that much demand for it. Um, yeah. But I don't know if someone were to convince me otherwise, I'd, I'd definitely be willing. Hmm. I feel like this does turn into a pep rally where Adam convinces you to be an entrepreneur. He's like, you could create a course <laughs> and sell yeah, it a little right? bit. <laughs> I believe in you, Victor. Yeah. Don't go to Facebook. Well, well let's talk about machine learning a little bit. Uh, just sure. hard right here, because this is what you've been writing about. You know, you, you, we happen to hop on this multiplayer IO game post of yours, but mostly what you've been writing about is random forests, you know, decision trees, machine learning. First of all, are these things that you're going to be able to apply in your new life at Facebook? And, and secondly, what is it about these things that excites you, et cetera, that you're, I mean, you're doing deep dives. So you're, I know you're, you're probably having to do some of this stuff for your schoolwork, but, you know, no one's making you go with all these diagrams and stuff on your decision trees ones specifically or on your random forest post. Obviously, you're, you really enjoy these topics. Actually, I'm not probably going to be able to do much in my new role at Facebook with this kind of stuff. Um, and that's by design. So there I like I think I write this, I think I have this on my blog. It's like my my one liner about myself. It's basically like I'm interested in machine learning and web development, right? Like that, those are kind of like the two things I really do. Um, and so my job is gonna be more like full stack web type stuff. So I'm probably not gonna do much machine learning. 
Um, but I actually just, you know, I, I think machine learning is interesting. I think it's going to be around for a while. There's a lot more that we haven't done with it, like as a, you know, human society. Um, it's going to change our world definitely in the next like decade or two. Um, and so it's just something fun for me to, it's kind of like a hobby, I guess. It's fun to learn about. It's fun to experiment with. Um, and it's especially fun to try to explain to other people because I think there's sort of this aura around machine learning where people are like, oh, it's so complicated, right? It's this new magical thing. It's, it's how we made self-driving cars. But in reality, like if you really wanted to get into it, a lot of it can be explained very simply with to people with very little background in this kind of stuff. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been challenging myself to do. Um, and that's where a lot of these blog posts have been coming from. Um, it's like from the person to me who's like, I know I can explain this. Like, I, I bet there's a better way to explain this. I bet I can make someone understand this. Um, and, and that's, that's what I, that's what I get out of it. So for those of the, in the audience that are sort of tracking you on changelog and reading what we've been linking out for you, what's upcoming for you written wise, we know you're going to Facebook. We, you know, I've already tried to sway you against that. I'm just kidding. I think you're doing you're a great move, but you know, we know kind of what's coming up in your near future in terms of employment, but what about your writing? Like what's coming up for you that you can tease here? Um, yeah, so I definitely got some stuff in the works right now. Um, I want to build on some of the success of my previous, like, you know, like the neural network post, for example. Um, I, I have a post coming up about convolutional neural networks. Um, it kind of builds on top of that one. We go into CNNs. It's kind of like a deep dive. We do some image classification. Um, I'm also going to do some stuff with RNNs, like recurrent neural, neural networks, um, do some, you know, text classification, maybe some sentiment analysis, kind of like hot topics in natural language processing right now. Um, and then once I have that, like, kind of base, like the base starting point established where I can be like, hey, you should read these introductory tutorials. Then it can start to maybe get into some more, uh, some more intermediate to advanced topics. Like, um, one of the ones I was thinking about was like visual question answering. That's really interesting. Like, give, I give you an image. I give you a one line question about it. Can you answer that question? Right. Mm. It seems really hard, like from a, you know, from a surface level, right? It seems impossible. Like, how do you even, how do you even begin to do that? But in reality, like, there are, there are very, like there's simple steps you can follow, right? There's it's it's not as complicated as you think. Um, so I think like there are some fun applications out there uh, that I would love to write about. Maybe like throw up some example code for um, and just play with. So cool. Well, Victor, thanks so much for schooling us and bringing some nostalgia back to uh, these old these old fools here that joined you today. <laughs> I love the old web and like this new stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no problem. It was it was fun. I never knew about this world at all, uh, and I feel so old saying that, and I shouldn't even admit that because <laughs> it's just just terrible. But it's been fun to to talk through this, and thank you for sharing your time with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Changelog. Hey, guess what? We have discussions on every single episode now. So head to changelog.com to discuss this episode. And if you want to help us grow this show, reach more listeners, and influence more developers, do us a favor and give us a rating or review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you use Overcast, give us a star. If you tweet, tweet a link. If you make lists of your favorite podcasts, include us in it. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, Digital 
DigitalOcean, GoCD, and Rollbar. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, Rollbar, our monitoring service, and Linode, our cloud server of choice. This episode is hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and Jared Santo, and our music is done by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com master, or go into your podcast app and search for Changelog Master. You'll find it. Thank you for tuning in this week. We'll see you again soon. Congratulations, you've listened all the way to the end of the show, and guess what? Got a little surprise for you. Here's a preview of Brain Science, our upcoming podcast coming out very soon. The easiest way to subscribe is to subscribe to our master feed at thechangelog.com slash master. Get all of our podcasts in one single feed, plus some extras that only hit the master feed, including Brain Science. Brain Science is a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain so we can understand things like behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and this thing we call the human condition. It's hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and Muriel Reese, a doctor in clinical psychology. It's brain science applied not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to better our lives? Here we go. As humans, one of the things that separates us from any other animal out there is the fact that we have language, we have words, and we have super powerful words that truly change how we feel and how we make other people feel. If the words we say have so much potential to influence ourselves and the world around us, how do we begin to understand the power of words? So words really are the thing that separates us from all other animals. Because, right, sharks, bats, dogs, lizards, they don't talk. And this is really critical when it comes to managing our moods and our feelings. One of the things um, that I sort of talk about, or even I mentioned earlier, about the way in which we file things in our mind according to feelings, this is exactly how we differentiate it, too. Thinking about uh, an example like with professional athletes, they you might say that they get anxious like before mm-hmm. a race or before you know uh, a run or a dive. But using that word, it, it's not really a threat, right? But their their brain would be like, oh, I'm nervous, and now I start this whole sequence of events in my body. Whereas if I just change the word to like I'm anticipating or I'm excited, it creates a different sort of rollout of emotions as well as physiological responses. I mean, I'm anxious about going to Disneyland is not usually what we say, right? I'm excited. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it then puts a lid on or files things differently in our mind, which then changes how we feel about it. So in my field, in psychology, I would say, we would say name it to tame it. The better I can name different feelings, the more I can tame whatever emotion that is. And so then I'm not really stuck living in this sort of mammal and reptile lane where I'm always just flipping my lid, I'm reactive, I'm angry, or I'm sad. But rather I can go, I recognize this is how I'm feeling, or like I'm, I'm afraid of some other threat, like losing my job. And I can go, you know what, here's the words I can use to talk to myself about that fear so that I'm not just stuck feeling afraid of a possible threat, which has never occurred yet. 
You use this concept too to, to say customized thinking. I'm not sure I fully understand what you mean by customized thinking. What do you mean by that? Well, because we are human, we do have the power of choice, which is super powerful. Like nobody has to tell you how you need to think or how you need to feel, right? And like your version of success might be very different than mine, which is going to impact my my choices and the direction I'm headed. And so when you think about customized, right? I mean, you can customize a car, you can customize your order at a restaurant. Like it really is tailored specifically to you and going, how do I want to think and how do I want to feel? One example I consider is I want to always, I want every day of the week to feel like I do on the weekend. Because to me, the weekend feels great. I'm with my family. I don't, I'm not sort of running things with such a tight timeline. And there's just a different sort of ethereal vibe to the weekend. Right. And I think, why does that only have to exist on the weekend? Yeah. Well, I want that every day. Why is that? I want that every day too. <laughs> well, and I think part of it is really our attitude and our expectations. I mean, there are legitimate threats all around us, but it doesn't help me do me or do my life any better if I am only focused on threats. So I want to practice changing the channel in my mind that says, hey, yeah, I see that potential job loss, but I also see I'm with my family right now. And right now, nobody can take sort of what I've been through and how I feel away from me. I'm in charge of how I feel. So I'm going to do things that actually contribute to feeling better. So how, how do we apply this name entertainment idea to this model then? Because maybe if you name the week, the weekend, can you change how you feel about it? Because that's really what it's about. It's like, how do we take, you know, the labels we apply things to things, the names we give things, the words we use, the choices, what I think we might call nuance. I'm not really sure how you, how, how you put that into play with the power of words, but the difference between, like you said before, being anxious or being excited, you know, fundamentally, it's almost the same feeling, but, you know, from a nuance level, it's very different. You know, it's, it's one direction or the other of excitement, you know, negative excitement potentially or positive excitement. How do we apply that to customized thinking? Well, I think that's a great way to say it, Adam. I really like that nuance because what we're looking for even as I talk about the different brains, we want a symphony. I mean, I'm not going to fire the woodwind section because I don't like a violin, right? So I don't want to fire a certain part of my brain like, you're not really helpful. I don't need to see that. But what we need is a sense of congruence. And so, sure, not every day of the week can feel exactly like the weekend. So I'm not going to say this is how I feel, but I have to actually believe it for it to impact my mind, my brain, and my body in the way in which I desire it to. And so I might use the words like, I strive for every day to have a feeling that reminds me of exactly how I feel on the weekend so that I don't lose sight that like every day really is a gift and I get to enjoy every day of my life to some degree. And so another example might be I'm living out in the Pacific Northwest. A lot of people have negative feelings about the weather. Imagine that. <laughs> 
But so if someone were to say that they just need to learn to love it, that's going to create what we call cognitive dissonance. It doesn't fit. So it doesn't matter how much I'm like, oh, I I do love the gray. I do love the clouds. It's not going to jive with me. And so it won't stick. So instead, I can say, I love the way in which the rain creates the green. And in the summer, when it is green, it is amazing. This idea of learning to live with it, though, get over it. Uh, It is what it is. Like, There's so many phrases we use to say just that, like just learn to live with it. What is it called again? Cognitive dissonance. And what does that mean when you play it out? It doesn't go together. Okay. So that if you're like, oh, just just do it. You just need to get over it. Like that really isn't helpful either because your body's giving you a signal and, and your brain is telling you, I don't like this sensation. I don't like how this feel. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, I just hate the gray and the gray is just overwhelming. And so- we have to go, well, what's my emotional buy-in? Like, what what do I like? How does that even allow me to enjoy something else? And so I'm going to look at going, you know what? I really like that I get to wear warm clothes or I really do love my coffee because it's for such a long time, it's gray and rainy. I want to be inside by a fire drinking my coffee. Right. <laughs> and so how can I look for going, you know what? If I do these things I I might not want to do, I do get some more of what I do want to do. And so it's really almost like a bartering system in your brain of saying, if you do this thing you don't like, you get this thing you, you do like. Or, you know, I know you don't have to make yourself do this thing unless you can see a way in which it actually benefits you or speaks to you emotionally. Everything, Adam really has to have this emotional buy-in. Mm. And if there's no good emotion, no really, the primary neuro, neurochemical in our brain is dopamine for feeling good. I don't get some hit of dopamine. My brain's going to be like, it's not worth it. And I'm not going to do it. Period. That's a preview of Brain Science. If you love where we're going with this, send us an email to get on the list to be notified the very moment this show gets released. Email us at editors at changelaw.com. In the subject line, put in all caps, Brain Science, with a couple bangs if you're really excited. You can also subscribe to our master feed to get all of our shows in one single feed. Head to changelaw.com slash master or search in your podcast app for Change Law Master. You'll find it. Subscribe, get all of our shows, and even those that only hit the master feed. Again, changelaw.com slash master. 